Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Is this thing live? I think it is, huh? Are we live? Are we talking live? Hey, this is a this is a really interesting topic, ladies and gentlemen. I was planning on actually scheduling this to go a little bit later, but it's already live, so let's just get right into it. We're talking about apostasy in Ireland. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. Can you believe that this is happening? Can you believe that this is happening right now? Okay, so uh, to catch you up. 
in case you don't know what's happened. So there's this archbishop. He's in Ireland. He's in Ireland. He's an Irishman, uh, and he was worshiping in a soccer stadium with some Mohammedans, with some Muslims. Okay, so this is like, this is the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of what it means to have false ecumenism right here. First of all, let's just dissect the word ecumenism real quick, because it comes from a Greek word, uh, ecumen, which basically means to keep your household in order. Okay, so ecumenism, properly speaking, means to get your household in order, and then... Uh, and then once you've cleaned your house, then you can go out into the world, right? That's the same in our families. It's the same of, of how all of our lives work. We have to keep our lives in order before we go out into the world. Nowadays, ecumenism means to have this incredible privilege of inviting Mohammedans and Jews and, uh, and, and pagans into our own house, to tell us how our affairs ought to be operating. That's what ecumenism means in the 21st century. That's what ecumenism meant at the Second Vatican Council. Um, this one really hits ho- close to home for those who have been following this. And I'm sorry, I didn't know I was live. I, I'm, I'm kind of like a little bit embarrassed, but um, th- thankfully some people are watching now. I think you were watching a blank room while I was just trying to get a few uh, videos um, uh, loaded. And I didn't get the video loaded, unfortunately, of the Muslim prayer service. Probably that is a grace that I'm not going to be able to show you that while I'm broadcasting live, but I might, uh, I might uh, add a link to it below. The Irish people... This one, why why does this hit close to home for me? For those of you who know, I'm I'm um, I'm I have a significant amount of Irish blood in my veins, and I take that very seriously. Um, I love my Irish family, and I love my Irish roots. And it is no, it is no hyperbole to say that the Irish, perhaps more than anyone on the planet, saved Western civilization. Um, Irish monasticism existed before. Benedictine monasticism, okay? Um, There was Irish monasticism, especially on the island of Arran Moor, before the rule of St. Benedict had even reached uh, the island. What makes Ireland so unique in the history of Christendom um, is that no Roman legions ever stepped foot on the island of Ireland, whereas in Britain you had the Britons, you know, who were conquered by the Romans, and who were fundamentally Christians. The Britons were then invaded by the Anglo-Saxons, who were a Germanic tribe and barbarian, very barbarian, who then reconverted to Christianity and were united under Alfred the Great. Um, And then they were invaded (laughs) by the Normans, who were converted Norse Vikings, who had uh, taken over a substantial part of northern France. So you have this interplay between the Roman Empire and Vikings, and vandals, uh, all happening in, in, in continental Europe and in Britain. But in Ireland, it was unique because you never had Roman legions in Ireland. St. Patrick converted the entire island. St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. St. Patrick uh, was, was a Briton who was uh, captured as a slave and brought to the island of Ireland uh, as, a, as a boy, and he was holy even back then. He prayed up to a hundred times a day. He took great pleasure in prayer and meditation. And then, um, and then the St. Patrick was brought, 
he, he escaped. He was given a dream by Almighty God that there will be a ship waiting for you. And he made his way to the ship and he escaped and he made it home back to Ireland. Subsequent to that, he had a dream that he was to return to Ireland and convert those people. Uh, he was made a priest and ultimately a bishop. He banned, he banished the snakes from Ireland. Uh, and the snakes didn't return to Ireland until they became a pro-choice nation, a pro-death nation. Um, and so I, um, all of this hits, hits close to home because when Christendom fell in continental Europe, when the various um, barbaric and Viking tribes sacked all of Europe and were burning monasteries, raiding them for their gold, um, and and the and the incredibly valuable books, bejeweled books that they would have, uh, laboriously hand copied. When the artifacts and the history of continental Europe was was under duress, it was the Irish monks who preserved Western civilization. They and they alone hand copied the books and the manuscripts. They and they alone preserved the Holy Bible, Holy Writ, Holy Scripture. They and they alone uh, were the were the linkage between the Roman Empire and and what would become Christendom. And the, the irony is that there was never a Roman legion on the island of Ireland, and yet they were chosen to be the link. It's sort of like how today in America, America is really a bastion of conservatism, Catholicism, traditionalism. We were never part of Christendom. We have scant evidence, you know, we have scant connection or roots in America to Christendom. We were never Catholic. We've always been anti-Catholic. And yet, although there was never a Roman legion here, there was never, Christendom never came here, we may in fact be the link to what will become the new Christendom, the Christendom 2.0, the restoration of, of Christendom. So in that sense, America and Ireland share a lot. They do. They share a lot. And, and our linkage is so incre incredibly close, especially for the Catholics in America, especially uh, given that many of the first Catholics in America and, and some of the first uh, clerics were Irish. In fact, one of the first bishops in the in the Union in these United States, his name was Bishop Ireland. That was his name. He was hand-selected by uh, Benjamin Franklin. So what is happening in Ireland is really an, an, a, a, a tragic, it's hard to overstate the tragic uh, nature of it. I only have one image that I can pull up um, because I didn't know I was live, and I'm, I apologize, but I didn't want to leave you hanging looking at an empty room. I did have this image here. I'm going to see if I can um, make it a little bit bigger. This is the official uh, this is the official letter from Bishop uh, Martin in Ireland, okay? Uh, there we go. Archbishop Martin. Let's see if we can make it just a hair bigger. And he is welcoming Muslims. He's welcoming Muslims for the uh, their so-called holy celebration of, I don't know how to say this, Eid, E-I-D. If anyone knows how to say it and you're chatting with me live on YouTube, um, I appreciate any correction. And if I, if I, if I mispronounce any of the Irish words after giving you this whole preamble about how I love being Irish, don't 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 spare the rod on me, okay? So I'm not very good with my Gaelic. So if I mispronounce things, please correct me. Definitely um, open to that. But not only does this guy welcome them with open arms, okay? It's one thing, it's one thing to write a letter, an ecumenical letter, so called, where you say, hey. I'm really glad that you guys are coming, and 
uh, my my thoughts and prayers are with you during this holy season. You know, like they did in the, in Kansas City, where the Bishop Johnson wrote this letter uh, back in April. You know, commemorating Ramadan and saying, "Oh, you know, like we're our spiritual brothers and we worship the same God." But the fact of the matter is, we don't. We don't worship the same God. This is something that is so misunderstood. I might actually get deplatformed off of YouTube for saying this because this is an unpopular thing, and I have you know they have their Russian bots and their algorithms out making sure that I don't say anything in uh you know too too far you can't you can never go too far there are certain third rails i'm not allowed to talk about like for example the natural family and the fact that children deserve a mother and a father and you know that if you know you can't change the your your biological gender and these things if you go too far talking about those things They'll shut you down. They'll take you off of YouTube. They'll deplatform you because that's the that's that's the freedom that we have here in America. And if you go too far with the Mohammedans, and I guess I'll just call them Mohammedans and leave it at that. If you if you attack them just to, a little bit too much, I mean they're they're like the they're like the privileged religion, you know. Uh, even in even in New York City, even the Jews in New York City didn't, uh, you know, they were attacked for having. Um, <laughs> for having their uh, ceremonies during the COVID-1984 lockdown. Uh, they would have, you know, their 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 marriages and their funerals. And uh, if the, the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, uh, would actually showed up and shut them down. So it's it's permissible in, in a COVID-1984 environment to, to go after the Jews, but you cannot ever, you can never go after the Mohammedans. And in fact, me just calling them that, uh, is is risky, but what I'm about to say is something that was understood f- since the seventh century, um, and the and the truth is the truth is that Mohammedans do not worship the same God that we do, and this is something that is fundamentally misunderstood in the Second Vatican Council. It is stated, it is explicitly stated in Dignitatis Humani, that document on religious freedom and religious liberty and religious pluralism and, and garbage. It's a garbage document that came out of the Second Vatican Council. It explicitly says that the Jews worship the same God that we do. No, they don't. They don't. You ask any exorcist. I got a quick story for you on exorcists. You guys have probably figured out that I'm close to a couple of them, maybe names that you've heard of. I do get to interact with them regularly. It's, it's a huge grace. In my day job, I, I, I regularly need uh, spiritual help because um, the spiritual combat is really real. Oh, and if you don't believe that, then, I mean, like, wake up. Maybe you're not Catholic enough. You're, if you're not getting attacked daily. <laughs> but... um. So uh, the spiritual combat uh, is, is, is very real, and in fact, one exorcist literally told me, he, he told me point blank, they worship a demon. The thing about people who are oppressed and possess, which there's a distinction between those two things, I, I don't necessarily want to go into that in this video, um, but those people who are oppressed, who are worshiping a demon, which is what the Mohammedans do, Allah is a demon, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's the name of a demon. It's the literal name of a demon. Um, I'm not going to say that name anymore, but just so you know, those people who worship a demon or who give themselves over to a demon are essentially oppressed at a minimum. And when you are oppressed by a demon or possessed by a demon, um, you are still obedient to the commands of Almighty God through his exorcists. And so, while walking the streets of Paris, which is now ostensibly a, uh, a Muslim city, there are parts of Paris you can't even go into. They're under Sharia law. Same thing with London. So Paris, the eldest daughter of the church, has fallen. London, 
uh, founded in you know in Wessex by King Alfred the Great, who reunited the the Anglo Saxons and defeated the Normans. And uh, okay, so they've fallen as well. If you walk those streets and you see all of the Muslims and the and their Muslim sheiks and and all of the garb that you know that they wear and and self-identify as Muslims, an exorcist one time did this in Paris, and he commanded all he commanded all of the worshippers of the demon Allah to look at him, and he said it was as if time froze. He was walking along, everybody froze, everyone stopped and looked at him, and then they moved on. They were not aware that they did it because this is what happens when you are oppressed or possessed. Um, in, in some cases, you can lose control of your cognitive functionality and, and, and the, uh, the demon which exercises control over you uh, in various degrees, whether you're oppressed or possessed, um, will actually take control of your body and will cause your body to do things that you're not even aware of. So this whole crowd of people that were talking, and some of them were at a cafe, they were walking along, they were, they were walking the streets, going in and out of shops. They all froze, stopped, looked at him, and is, all he did was he commanded all of them to identify themselves, and every single Muslim that was within eyeshot and earshot of him, uh, I guess spiritual earshot of him, did that. So... Um, it is very true. It's it's a hundred percent true that uh, you, no matter what uh, Lumen Gentium or or um, Dignitas Humani says, no matter what any of these silly Vatican II documents actually say, that Muslims do not worship the same God that we do. They worship a demon. Okay, and that is true ecumenism. To recognize that, to say, hey, you're in error. You are worshiping a demon. You've been led astray. The uh, Mohammedans com- uh, can claim all day long that they worship the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and, jo- and Jacob, but the fact of the matter is is that they don't. And their holy book, the Quran, commands them to uh, kill Jews and Christians. It uh, enables them to lie. Uh, it, it, it gives them full license to commit acts of violence. And we have seen that around the world for the last 20-plus years, that uh, Islamic extremism is responsible for the deaths of countless innocent lives, and they always target innocent people, defenseless people, because fundamentally they are cowards. They don't want to fight on a battlefield. They won't line up. They won't actually declare war on you because they cannot defeat us, the West, militarily, but they can defeat the West uh, through, through acts of terror. So this is happening in in Ireland now, where uh, an archbishop in Ireland is welcoming the Muslims into a, uh, I, I think it's a, f- a soccer stadium, or you probably call it football there in Ireland, please correct me. Um, and for the first time ever, so this is like a spot that has had religious services of various kinds, including Catholic, over the years. But this is this is so novel, people. This is so exceptional. We're so excited about this. They, they are welcoming Muslims in for the first time. And this is so this is so great. Um, so in inside this sports arena, which they're not playing sports, and you notice in the image, if you if you see any of the images, which I apologize, I'm not pulling any of them up for you, uh, but in the uh, in the YouTube image that I that I created, you can see um, on the field, you see the Muslims are all doing their whole prayer rug thing, but they're socially distanced, you know, at least six feet apart, and they're all facing east, and they're 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 doing their their prayers to uh, the demon Allah. So 
that's that's what's happening. And presiding over all of that is an Archbishop of the Catholic Church. Now, I was just reading up on this guy, Archbishop Martin, before uh, before I uh, clicked on the on the go button. And I had I actually had two other things pulled up that I wanted to read before clicking the go button, but I actually clicked the go button. So hey, here it is. You're getting Mike unplugged. But first of all, Archbishop Martin this year in 2020 turned 75. And uh, it is a tradition uh, post-Vatican II that once you're 75, you tender your resignation. This was in February or March where he turned 75, and he's required to at least submit his resignation uh, to Rome. And if they accept it or, or whatever, then that's it. You go into retirement. But this guy's trying to go out with a bang. I mean, this is how I interpret this information. Not only did Rome decline to accept his offer for resignation uh, because, of, because of the fact that he has turned 75, and uh, it's customary, I guess, uh, or, or even required that you do that. Um, but, but he's going out with a bang because he wants uh, the Mohammedans to be worshiping, uh, um, you know, in, in a public space. And he wants to preside over that because in his mind, that is, you know, that is the height of the new evangelization. That is, that is, that is ecumenism gone wild. Uh, he was made a priest. He was ordained in 1969. What had just happened, you know, in in 67. So, I mean, this this guy is is I mean, perfect timing, right? The age of Aquarius. You are ordained a priest in 69. Imagine he's going through his priestly training in the mid in the middle of the 1960s while the Second Vatican Council is going on. The council documents are starting to come out in 60, 65, 67, 69. This guy is made a priest, and um. And he's ultimately elevated to the episcopate and then made an archbishop in Ireland, where he now presides over a false ecumenical um, event in which he is worshiping side by side with, with Muslims. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the 17 Code of Canon Law or the 83 Code of Canon Law. It really doesn't matter, okay? I prefer the 17. I, I think you know that. Uh, there are definitely reasons why I prefer the 17. And I, I, I really think that you just can't go wrong with the 17. Um, but if you, but even if you look at the Council of Trent, which I, I usually have behind me, I have this orange book behind me, which is the Catechism of Trent, all three of those catechisms explicitly say that Catholics are not supposed to engage in worship services of any kind, including prayer, especially public prayer, with non-Catholics. We're not supposed to do that. That is displeasing to Almighty God. When you think about prayer, what, what, it, what it actually is, what it serves to do, one of the functions of prayer is to render a pleasing uh, sacrifice, a pleasing offering to Almighty God. And so there are levels of prayer which are pleasing to God. And this goes into, this This touches on the liturgy, which is one thing that uh, on this channel I really don't want to talk about because I don't want to obsess about all that and get, get pigeonholed. I think you can read between the lines and you know what I'm what I'm saying and what I believe. But there's individual prayer, which is good. It's a good thing. When you pray the rosary by yourself and you are and you are offering that prayer to God, hopefully that is a pleasing thing for him. What's even more pleasing is group prayer. Okay, so when you when you when you say the rosary by yourself, it's one thing. When you say it as a family, it's on the next level. It's even better. Then there's public prayer. Okay, so that would be like, you know, uh, Perhaps if this were well-ordered in this football stadium where everyone were Catholic and they were all going to pray the rosary together and 10,000 10, people were going to say the rosary, that would be an even more magnificent offering to God. And then there's the liturgy, okay, which is, which is the, the, the office, the divine office, which gets prayed 
around the world at all times, and this is a liturgical prayer which gets offered to God. And then there's the, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass at the top. So in terms of levels of prayer that are pleasing to God, you know, public prayer is pretty up there. It's, it's, it's way more impressive and something that is that you can offer to God um, that is much more pleasing to Him than just your individual prayers in the, in the silence of your uh, bedrooms or kitchen or whatever it is. And so you have this archbishop who's now presiding over a—now, is the inverse true? Okay, this is what I was thinking about. Is the inverse of that true? So if a, if a rightly ordered uh, public prayer where you have 10,000 Catholics gathered in a, in a stadium and they are all praying the rosary together uh, to Almighty God and, and offering that to him, if that, is, if that is even more pleasing to him than just you doing it by yourself, then does a sacrilege that is conducted in public in unison, does a, an, uh, an, an apostasy, does a heretical... Uh, demon-focused apostasy that is sanctioned by the church, presided over by a Catholic archbishop, happening in a public square in unison with thousands of people broadcast around the world. Is that more offensive or less offensive to Almighty God? I mean, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it takes a, a theologian or a rocket scientist to arrive at the conclusion that if if public prayer is good, then public apostasy is bad, right? And that there are levels of that. And so this is why you know many conservative Catholics and traditionalist Catholics, Orthodox Catholics, whatever label you give yourself, um, when they get bent out of shape, rightly so. Okay, rightly so. When they find out about like satanic black masses and and um, and what you know what people who worship Satan actually do to the hosts, um, and and uh, and I, and I won't necessarily go into details and, and all of that, but it's 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 really it's really horrible, profane, ugly. I don't like to think about it, uh, and I know you don't like to think about it. Um, but that is really the height of the insults that you can give to Almighty God because it is an inversion of the highest form of prayer, which is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which the liturgy. And so if that is the most displeasing thing you can do to God, I would imagine that the second most displeasing thing you can do to God would be to offer him a slap in the face and to worship a demon in a soccer field in Ireland with a Catholic archbishop standing there presiding over the thing, giving his consent to it. I mean, I don't know how you get around the fact that this has to be, I mean, short of, short of committing an act of, of pure Satanism uh, and, 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 and taking the Holy Eucharist out of the tabernacle, which, you know, my understanding in Ireland is that the tabernacles are pretty hard to find in a lot of the parishes. But let's say you could find one and, and you pulled the host out and you took it on the soccer field and performed a satanic ritual. Like, that would be the only way... That would be the superlative. That would be the only way to trump how awful, how bad, how wicked what happened in Ireland was. So I just want to put that into into context and, and into perspective. I'm getting a lot of chats here on YouTube. I'm just going to take a moment and read uh, some of this. Yes, thank you, Katie. Please do hit the like button. Uh, the more likes that videos like this get, incidentally, um, the more the the Russian bots at YouTube uh, actually present the video to people who may need to see it. And uh, once again, I do apologize. I didn't know I was live and you were watching an empty room for a couple minutes, but I hope that that, was, um, that will have been worth it. 
for all of you. I, I see people talking about uh, the Mohammedists in general and that they don't worship the same God. That's absolutely right. Um, the, uh, the, the the adherence to Mohammed. Who who is who is Mohammed actually? Can we? Uh, gosh, should I just go full bore? Should I just go for it? Should I make this my last video before YouTube deplatforms me? I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I've only got like fifty of you watching right now. Um, well, let's just let's let's just try to let's try to split the baby on this. So who was he? All right, I'm not gonna say his name, but you know who I'm talking about. The prophet. Who was the prophet? Well, he was a he was a merchant. He was an Arab merchant, and the Arabs at the at the time were were basically go go off, Mike, go for it. Oh, thank you, Christian. I appreciate that. Um, so the 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 Arabs were a nomadic tribe at the time, who uh, w- were coming into contact uh, with Christendom in in their trade routes to and from the Holy Land, and so in, the link between the East and the West. So which, you know they're in the middle Middle East. Um, that's who the Arabs were. So Muhammad would have the prophet. He would have come into contact with both Jewish traders and uh, and Christian merchants who were exchanging their goods back and forth between the Byzantine Empire um, and and the Western Empire or the or the ruins of the Western Empire and 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 what was forming in the West. So uh, Muhammad would have become familiarized with the legends, the Jewish uh, and and Christian, what he would have considered to be legends. Um, ultimately, uh, he he claimed that an angel came to him in a dream and revealed this new chapter in the in the history of the of of the two religions. And so, a lot of what he now he didn't write the Quran. He gathered a people around him. His elders, if you will, uh, and he would and he would give them sayings, and then later on they wrote down the Quran, um, and uh, a lot of his sayings made absolutely no sense. It turns out that he was a bit of a pedophile, a bit of a drug abuser, and a warlord. Um, he led more than two hundred military campaigns. That's fundamentally what Islam is: is it is a political movement more so than it is a religion or a spirituality of any of any kind. You cannot, if to the extent that if if you put your happy, clappy, glappy Vatican II hat on just for a second, and you just say, uh, okay, well, all religions contain some amount of truth in them. Like as as I'm recording this, as I'm broadcasting this, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth or 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 Cardinal Ratzinger, I don't know what to call him. He wears white still. I don't know what I'm supposed to call him. Um, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I le- I legitimately don't know what he wants me to call him. He still refers to himself as Pope. But what he would say, okay, as a, as a paragon of the Nouvelle Theologie, what he would say is that all religions contain you know certain amounts of truth in them, and 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 all this stuff. And so he would he would go out of his way, probably um, certainly his philosophy does. To, to find the good in other people's religions. The problem with Islam, though, is that it's unique. It's unique, right, um, in that it's not a religion. It's just not. Uh, Mohammedism is not a religion. It is a political movement, okay? There, it, there, is, there is nothing religious about it. There's no relationship with a creator God. There's no spirituality whatsoever. It is fundamentally focused on dominating the world. It is fundamentally focused on destroying Western civilization. 
it was born in the seventh century in the Arabian desert. And that is where it seeks to return all of humanity into seventh century barbarism. Okay. That's what, that's what Mohammedism is fundamentally. Um, it hates, it hates progress. It hates technology. It hates Christians and Jews. Um, it hates Western civilization. It hates the family. It, it, uh, it is, it is, uh, sexually perverse, it is it is it is absolutely perverse. Um, it promotes polygamy and and um, pedophilia. It is diametrically opposed to the to the family as being the fundamental building block of Western civilization. Um, it is a and it it seeks military campaigns, military struggles to bring about its political ends. It is fundamentally focused on earthly, worldly, political objectives. Um, and that's what Muhammad was. Uh, he was a warlord, and his successors were warlords. Um, the, the that 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 is really the 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 story of Western civilization, the story of Christendom. You know, you want to talk about Lepanto or the or the Reconquista in in Spanish Moorish Spain. Um, the story of building Christendom. And rebuilding the Roman Empire from the ashes and tracing a contiguous line from Emperor St. Constantine all the way through until you get blessed uh, Emperor Charlemagne uh, uh, and then finally until you end Christendom, the, the conclusion of Christendom with the exile and death of blessed Karl von Habsburg of Austria. The contiguous line in, in Christendom that you can draw is fundamentally a struggle against Islam, okay? It is a struggle against Muslims. Um, and there is, in America, for whatever reason, and I want to lead this into the COVID-1984 thing, since I already know this video is going to get deplatformed and there's no chance of, uh, you probably, you know, if you're watching it now, all right, cool, probably no one's going to watch it afterwards because it's going to get taken down. But um, you have not seen, you have not seen a discussion today in COVID-1984 about terrorism. Terrorism has been like a like a like a black cloud over the sky of all of our lives for the last 20 years. Since 9/11, since since September 11, 2001, terrorism entered our subconsciousness, it entered our zeitgeist. It fundamentally changed our lives. It changed how we traveled. It changed how we thought about public safety. It changed how we lived our lives. It changed the nature of the technocratic state. It changed the powers, the war powers, and the spying uh, that the that the U.S. government and governments around the world could engage in. Everything about our world changed because of Muslim terrorists taking down the Twin Towers, attacking the Pentagon, and downing a plane in, in rural Pennsylvania. 9-11 fundamentally changed. And then we lived through a period of two, two presidencies, two administrations, 16 years of, of two different presidents, Bush and Obama. And um, terrorism, I mean, you, you would get like a daily terrorist update. Do you remember the days of the Bush administration where you, they'd be like, oh, today's a red day or today's an orange day, terror threat, terror threat purple, you know, like really bad. You, you can't go out anywhere. You would get uh, now, now, now. What, what, what do we get daily? What do we get daily? Well, today we get our daily COVID. Today's a bad COVID day. It's gonna be a really bad COVID. 
this COVID COVID is planned to be really bad tomorrow. So don't go outside because the COVID is floating. You know, the 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 Wu flu is is floating out in the uh, in the atmosphere. Um, and you don't hear about terrorism for 20 years. That's all we heard about it was the terror threat, the color chart, you know, and anytime there was like a midterm election or something like suddenly the terror threat would go high and then we'd have all these foiled plans. You guys remember like the, the underwear bomber and the shoe bomber and uh, like the bra bomber, like you remember all these people that tried to bring down airplanes and stuff, but their plans were foiled just in time for the election because, you know, uh, that's what the government does. And then, um, and then do you remember, do you remember the Fort Hood shooting where the guy was like standing up on tables in a cafeteria, mowing people down with his AR, uh, shout, shouting Allah Akbar. And then it took until the Trump administration to declare that as an act of terrorism and actually like give the soldiers who were wounded there on, on Fort Hood, the, the purple heart. Uh, why am I digressing to, uh, to that? Because today you hear nothing Nothing about terrorists. Sorry, I keep hitting the microphone. I my my gesturing would not imply that I'm Irish, but it's the Spanish in me. Okay, so it's the Latin blood. Um, the, the you hear nothing today about terrorism because terrorism is being conducted on the American people by the U.S. government. Uh, socially, ice, social isolation, not talking to your friends and family living in fear, having to watch the mass on live stream, shutting, shutting down the public square, controlling when and where you can go, uh, grounding airline travel, forcing you to wear a mask. Um, these, are all, these are all proven tools of torture. These are, these are like definitionally torturous things. We don't hear about Muslim terrorists today. Why would, if, if, let me ask you this question, okay? If I'm a Muslim terrorist and I'm trying to bring down the West and uh, I believe that America is the great Satan and I hate Western civilization, uh, I especially hate uh, Christians and Jews. If I see the West committing suicide, if I see the West becoming a totalitarian, socialist, communist state, willingly, willingly walking down into suicide, do I really need to do anything to, you know, it's like the, it's like the art, it's like the martial arts. And when you're, when you're practicing judo, the art of judo is not about countering your opponent's force. It's about using their force and taking them along, taking them further than they wanted to go or misdirecting their force. So um, a Muslim attack on America right now would be absolutely counterproductive to the Muslim um, agenda of destroying America because it would unite us. It would remind us that we are a Christian people who uh, are under attack by an existential threat of Mohammedism, and it would bring us together exactly like we were brought together in 9-11. On 9-12-2001, there were two things that I can guarantee you were running through every single American's minds on the day after 9-11. The first is, we're going to get hit again. This is a new way of life. If they can hit us in New York and the Pentagon, they can hit us anywhere. Nobody would have believed that for the rest of the Bush administration, we would not have one single terrorist attack in America. The second thing that everyone was thinking on 9-12-2001, the second thing is that we can set aside our differences of opinion on 
fiscal policy, monetary policy, tax policy, even gun policy, whatever it is, and pursue the common goal of the crusade against Islam, the centuries-old crusade against the menace that is Islam. Um, if, the, if the terrorists were to strike us today, that would be counterproductive to what they're trying to do because they can see that we are pulling ourselves apart. They can see that Black Lives Matter, funded by communists, trained by communists, funded by George Soros, is tearing us apart. They can see that there is a movement amongst the Democrats and alt-left in America to sever us from our roots, from our Christian roots. We have scant Christian roots in America. We, we, we're not like Europe. We do not have deep, long-lasting, centuries-old Christian Catholic roots in America. What little we have, the, the St. Sarah's of the world, the St. Damien's in Honolulu, they're, they're, they're depriving us of those things. Those statues must come down. That history must be erased. And um, once, you, uh, once you divorce the people from their roots, from their history, from their identity, then you can make them feel shame about their identity. And that is what's happening in America. That's also what's happening in Ireland. In Ireland, they are trying to make you feel ashamed of being Irish. They're trying to make you feel ashamed of being Catholic. Because the alt-left in Ireland, they have, had, they have had stunning, spectacular victories in Ireland under the guise of just wanting to keep up with the Joneses, under the guise of just wanting to fit in with the rest of continental Europe. You see, um, in Ireland, there is, a, there is this psychological stigma about being viewed as not quite sophisticated enough to fit in with the rest of Europe. We're not stylish like the French or the Italians are. We're not, uh, you know, technologically industrious like the Germans are. We we don't do administration the as well as the Brits do. You know, we we don't have a a a, a beautiful patrimony uh, or or a, or a stunning seven hundred year Reconquista war story like the Spanish do. So there's a little bit of like we we have to keep up with Brussels. Brussels sets the pace. The European Union is going to kill their babies. They're going to destroy their families. They're going to re, uh, redesign marriage and, and absolutely destroy uh, personal property. And the Irish are saying, well, if we want to be accepted, we have to shed our roots. We have to, we have to pretend that we're not Catholic anymore. We have, to, we have to divorce ourselves from our roots, and we have to get on board with the radical left agenda that is, that is being promulgated in continental Europe so that they don't think, heaven forbid, that they would think that we are backwards, that we are backwoods, that we are unsophisticated. Uh, so so it, there's, there's a lot of that going on. That You see that playing out in America as well, by the way. In the red counties that dot America, okay, outside of L.A. County, outside of Chicago, outside of New York, outside of Miami, when you go into the countryside in America – it's it's two countries it's two civilizations and but but the difference is is that in america the red states the red counties the red cities the red neighborhoods don't care if you think that we're backwards we don't care we don't care if you think that we are uncivilized or that we're that we're unsophisticated that we're not keeping up with the joneses 
We don't care if you think that we're not modern enough or chic or, or, um, or fashionable or whatever it is. And that is why America has been slower to move to the left than the breakneck speed with which you've seen it happening in Ireland, unfortunately. And so the conservatives and the reactionaries in Ireland, of which there are plenty, there are great Catholics in Ireland, there are great liturgies in Ireland, and there are a few great priests there too, even. Um, but they can't stop it. It's like a tidal wave. It's a tidal wave because everyone wants to keep up with the Joneses. And so um, why did the pro-life constitutional amendment fail in Ireland? It's not necessarily because you have so many baby killers in Ireland. It's because you have a bunch of progressivist modernists who just want to keep up with the Joneses. And that is fundamentally what is happening there. Um, so what they have that we don't have, so just com continuing the comparing and contrasting between Ireland and the United States, at least what they have, and this goes back to the beginning of this broadcast, um, at least what they have in Ireland that we don't have and will never have in America is they have an illustrious Catholic history that they can lean on and draw from. That is who they are. It's in their blood. From the days of the ancient Druids, the, the mysticism and spiritualism in Ireland, they were so primed to be converted and to be the hotbed of Catholicism in all of Europe and to literally save Western civilization. That's what they did. That's their patrimony. That's their history. It's not a perfect history. Nobody has a perfect history. To sit here and say that you have to have a perfect history or you, or you be ashamed of yourself and take your statues down. No, 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 no. Nobody, nobody believes that except alt-left BLM commies. But what they have in Ireland is they have it in their DNA. The Catholic Church is in their DNA. So what I hope happens is that they wake up and say, you know what, it's not worth it to be to pretend to be modern. It's not worth it to try to keep up with, with Paris, to keep up with Milan, to keep up with Brussels. It's not worth it. We're killing our babies. We're destroying our families. We're tearing down our churches. It's not worth it. Um, they will not, they will have to do it like, as in America. So here's where the similarity converges. Just like in America, just like in Ireland. Ireland was never part of Christendom insofar as the, the, the first part of Christendom, the Roman Empire. There were no Roman legions ever in Ireland. And America has never been part of Christendom either. We have always been an anti-Catholic, Protestant, uh, Puritan empire. We've been an Anglo-Saxon Protestant empire from the beginning. And to the extent that the Spanish and the French held lands in, in the Gulf of Mexico and whatnot, those were seized, illegally stolen uh, from the Catholics in order to create a white buffer, a white buffer. Um, so that's, that's our history. So we share the common link in that, on the one hand, we were not part of the, we were not part of the party. We weren't, we weren't the popular person. We weren't, we weren't there, right? Ireland was not part of the Roman Empire. No Roman legion ever set foot on the island. The Britons were. The Britons were conquered. They were, they were Christians. At the same time, though, we share the fact that we are fundamentally in our core. We are conservative people. We are God-fearing people. And our hierarchies have totally let us down. So I'm going to bring up 
Uh, I'm going to bring up this picture one more time. Our hierarchy is le letting us down. This is an archbishop. This is, a, this is an active, this is not a retired archbishop. This is an actual archbishop in Ireland who is... Who is this called Croke Park or Croquet Park? And one of you who's Irish who's watching right now, can you tell me how to pronounce this? He's there celebrating this this sick, satanic, um, demonic demonstration of Mohammedan pseudo religion, which is really just a political movement, at a football stadium, soccer stadium, sports arena of some kind in Croke Park. Um, their hierarchy has has abandoned them precisely how in America our hierarchy has abandoned us. Okay? So uh, we share the duty that in both cases it falls to the laity. It falls to the laity to take charge of the situation and correct the course. There are multiple instances in the history of the church in which the church was corrected by the laity. So this is not new. This is not novelty. But it is not proper. If we could go back and rewrite the context of what we're dealing with, if we could reimagine our scenario and, and invent a new problem, the solution to that problem in a hypothetical way would be that the clergy lead us to holiness that the clergy uh, bring us to um, to where we need to go. Okay, so you're saying it's Coke. Oh, Croak. It's pronounced Croak, but it rhymes with Coke. Okay, got it. Okay, so this is Croak Park. Thank you very much. Um, but it, it falls to the Irishmen, just like it falls to the Americans, that... Uh, that we have to take back our church. We have to we have to be the historians, we have to be the liturgists, we have to be the moral theologians. We have to be the leaders. That's why restoring the faith exists. Fundamentally, one of the one of the founding theses of this show, of this channel, of this apostolate is that if you are a husband, father, protector, or if you are a wife, mother, provider, you are alone. We live in a brave new world in which you are fundamentally alone. You have been abandoned by your friends and family. You've been abandoned by your churchmen. And you have been specifically and insidiously abandoned by your hierarchy. That's what's happening in Ireland, where you have an archbishop committing a public act of apostasy. In times past, ladies and gentlemen, in times past, Archbishop Martin would have been excommunicated from the church. Can you imagine in the times of St. Pius V, in the great battle against the, against the Mohammedans at Lepanto, where the future of Europe hung in the balance, and a, a multinational force of Austrians and Venetians, Italians, Spanish, Portuguese, came together to defend Europe? against this insidious, evil, sick, twisted, demonic political movement known as Mohammedism? Can you imagine an archbishop of Ireland or any other European power holding a public prayer service with Mohammedans at the same time that Christians were being enslaved, sunk, destroyed, 
impoverished by these same people? That would never happen. Pope St. Pius V would have excommunicated that archbishop. Pope St. Pius V, who gave us the liturgy for all times and all places, who gave us the Council of Trent, was clear. You can never pray with these people. You can never give them an inch. If you give them an inch, they will take a mile. And here in 2020, in the Catholic Church of 2020, a man who rightly should be retired, he's 75 years old, he should be out of there anyway, Needs he, he, he can pray in Croke Park in Ireland in a despicable public display of apostasy with the very same Mohammedans who just a few hundred years before were pirates raiding the coasts of Ireland and other places, stealing Christians, enslaving them, raping them, pillaging, conquering lands. Two weeks ago, we lost the Hagia Sophia. Forever, probably. Two weeks ago, we lost the church built by St. Constantine. Emperor Constantine in Constantinople. It's bad enough that we lost Constantinople and that they renamed it to some other name that I'm not even going to say. And that that jewel, that jewel has now been lost forever. We've lost that. And they had the audacity, the Turks did, of inviting the Pope to come and pray with them and preside over the, the ceremony. It's a wonder that he didn't. It's a wonder that he didn't show up to Constantinople and pray with the Mohammedans as, as some valiant act of ecumenism. I'm shocked that he didn't go. Are you shocked? I'm very shocked. Just two weeks ago that happened, and now this? Now we have Archbishop Martin standing in solidarity with the same Muslim tormentors who have been a thorn in the side of Christianity since the 7th century and they are not going away. And here's what's worse. Their invasion, their invasion of Europe, and I'll, 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 end up, I'll end up stopping the show here soon. But the Muslim invasion of Europe is finally succeeding where Charles Martel stopped them. Battle of Tours. The Hammer. Pepin the Short, his son, guaranteed safety and victory against Muslims. Charlemagne beat them back and established Germany and France as we know it today. In the 1,200 years since then, the Muslims have been trying to invade Europe, and they have never really succeeded, except for a few hundred years in Spain, until now. Until now. Now, Islam is spreading like a wildfire across Europe, across the European continent. They are the majority in London. They are the majority in Paris. Here's, here's an anecdote. Here, just, to, just, to, just to communicate with you how bad the problem is in France, all of France, the eldest daughter of the church, founded by Clovis. Clovis converted by a saintly wife, Clotilde. Baptized their first son. He died. Clovis was in a rage. My firstborn son, he submits to your 
to your Christian baptism and he dies. I'll never be a Christian. The patient, long-suffering woman, Clotilde, ends up converting her husband. They, they have another son. They baptize him. He doesn't die. France is founded. France is the birthplace of Charlemagne, the greatest emperor in the history of the world. France now, eldest daughter of the church, beautiful patrimony, symbol of Our Lady in the fleur-de-lis. The incidence of sickle cell anemia, sickle cell anemia. This is a, this is a disease that does not, that is not found in the blood of Frenchmen, okay, properly, of, of Europeans. This is not in European blood. This is in African blood, okay? Nine out of ten babies born in France. I was told this by a priest, a very high-ranking priest, actually, like the number two guy at one of the traditional orders. Nine out of ten babies born in France now are screened for and test positive to for the risk factors for sickle cell anemia, which basically means that they carry that gene. What does that tell you? Nine out of 10 babies born today in France are not of European blood. They are Muslims coming in from Africa and the Middle East. The, the invasion and conquering of France, the invasion of Europe, of Christendom, is nearly complete and it is a bloodless one. It is a bloodless one. Here in America, we're fighting a bloodless civil war right now. We are relitigating the civil war and the Cold War all at once. The left in, the, in America, the Democrat Party, they have embodied the principles, values, and the philosophy of our old arch enemy, the Russians, the heir of Russia, communists. And so we are fighting a new proxy, bloodless civil war in America. And it is a battle between Western civilization and communism, nihilism, nothingness. In Europe, they're fighting that same war, but the participants are totally different because on the one side, you have the Muslims, the Mohammedists, who have won in so many places and who are now trying to get a foothold in St. Patrick's Island of Ireland. So uh, we pray, ladies and gentlemen, we pray for our Irish friends, our brothers and sisters in Ireland, whose ancestors saved us so many times, whose ancestors fought valiantly to preserve what we hold dear as our patrimony in these United States, who fought so arduously to hand copy, this is a laborious process, to hand copy the scriptures because when the Vandals and the Goths and the Mohammedans swept into Europe, destroyed destroyed the, the Western Roman Empire, those things were at risk of being lost. But thanks be to God, the Irish monks and the monastic lifestyle in Ireland, especially on the island, the, the Holy Isle of Arran Moor, more so than anywhere else in the world, saved us. They saved us. They preserved it for us. So maybe, maybe, final thought, final thought, 
it could be, and this is just projecture, okay, conjecture, all right, and and don't take me as some Americanist, okay, you know that I'm not an Americanist, um, and, and I regularly talk about the Americanist heresy, it's a, it's a stated heresy, it was condemned by the church, um, so don't, don't take this the wrong way, but it could be possible, okay, it could be possible, here's a theory, tell me what you think about this theory, and give this video a like too, it could be possible that in the same exact way that Ireland was just outside of the Roman Empire and because of that, not because of that, but in conjunction with that, that Ireland essentially became an off-site storage facility for Christendom, for Western civilization. It, it became a place where you could go to live a monastic life. It became a place where nobles and princes and kings were educated by Irish monastics in Arran Moor. It was, it was not touched by the Roman legions. It was never part of the Roman Empire. And it became this, this off-site storage facility for our patrimony that we call Culture, civilization, Western civilization, Christendom. It could be that America now shares that role in the history of the world. It could be that what Ireland was for Europe, America may soon have to be for the world. That's what's at stake here. When you see that France, the eldest daughter of the church, has fallen, when you see that London is governed by Muslims, both in, rea in fact and in reality, when you see that Angela Merkel has just opened her borders to Syrian Muslims who have now taken over in the countryside of Germany and are raping the women, Europe is essentially going to be no more. They will have been invaded finally, finally, and successfully, bloodlessly by Muslims. And so perhaps the role that we Americans will play um, is the same role that Ireland played, and that is that we are the off-site storage facility for, uh, for Christendom, for patrimony, for culture. And I, I say that with a heavy heart because the fact of the matter is is that American culture ain't all that, all right? American culture is not graceful. It's not refined. It is not European in any stretch of the imagination. But it could well be that we here in America, the proxy civil war that we are fighting right now, is that the stakes are even higher than what we can imagine. The stakes are really high. So um, anyway, um, thanks for thanks for watching this. I am so sorry. My condolences to the... Uh, I know that there are a lot of um, Irish uh, folks who follow Restoring the Faith, and uh, my heart and, is heavy today, and my, and my prayers are with you. St. Patrick, pray for us. St. Bridget of Ireland, my daughter's confirmation saint. Um, uh, St. Columba, uh, for all the holy apostles of Ireland, please pray for us so that this sickness, this, this uh, demon-worshipping sickness that's happening in Ireland gets extinguished. It gets squashed. And it won't, it's not going to happen because of the bishops. It, it won't happen because of the clerics. It will only happen because of you, because of what you do, your prayers, your actions. Okay? So let us all... Pray as if everything relies on God, but work 
as if it all relies on us. God bless you. Thank you so much for watching this. I don't actually know how to stop this because I, I, uh, I don't know how to stop the live stream, but um, I'm going to figure it out. Hey, thanks. Thanks again, though, everybody. God bless you.